The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Hey, as we settle into the, the, the fall around here, we're also going to be settling into Romans chapter 8. In fact, we're going to be in Romans 8 for the rest of this year, just slowing down a little and, and pulling the boat up on the shore of Romans chapter 8. If you're new around here, uh, we started working through the book of Romans about a year ago, all right? Uh, we hit Romans 1 through 4 last fall, and then in December, we took a break and did an Advent series after the turn of the year. Uh, we did a topical series on the church. Uh, This past spring, we worked through Romans 5 through 7, and then y'all went through the Psalms of Ascent over this summer. But now we're returning to Romans 8 at a a much slower pace, which I anticipate and expect to just be really, really good for us as a church. Really good. You know, Romans as a book, and actually it's a a letter, right? But uh, Romans as this book, it's amazing, Uh, John Calvin, the 16th century reformer, said that if we gain a true understanding of Romans, we'll have an open door to all the most profound treasures of Scripture. Think about that. Who wouldn't want that? An open door to all the most profound treasures of Scripture? Yes, please. Yes, please, right? Martin Luther, another of the 16th century reformers, said that um, Romans, you you can never read it too much, right? Um, In fact, he said that the more you read it, the more delightful it becomes and the better it tastes. Romans is delicious. And, And, you know, Romans 8 contains some of the tastiest delicacies that this great letter has to offer up. Uh, Romans 8, it's, it's a cool drink of water to those who are carrying around guilt and shame from past sin. It's a new tank of gas for those who feel like they're running on spiritual empty. Romans 8 is, is for those of us who look around at our lives and more often than we would prefer to admit, conclude, I'm a bit of a failure. It's for the anxious. It's for the struggling. For the sufferer. The, 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 the weak or, or, or wounded. It, it, it's, it's for the fragile. If you're insecure, or if you're, if you're unsure about your salvation, if you came in here this morning feeling unlovable, look at me. Romans 8 is for you. It's fresh wind for your sails. If you came in here feeling lonely today, if you walked into this sanctuary feeling forgotten or overlooked or like you're just some kind of like church misfit, Romans 8 is for you. If you're losing hope, if you're fearful, if you feel like you get an F- minus on the spiritual achievement report card, if you stink at prayer, Right? Like if if you feel far from God, if you doubt or or perhaps actually disagree with what he's up to in your life, or or maybe you just look around the world and you groan. Or you look around other people in your life who are groaning and you see the world groaning. If you're one of those people who is concerned about where things are headed, or if you're maybe just ready to like step back and say, 
enough with this world. Romans 8 is for you. Romans 8 is for us. God wants to renew us through Romans 8. He wants to open us up to a powerful renewal by his Holy Spirit, who, by the way, is mentioned 21 times in this great chapter of the Bible, more times than any other chapter in the entire Bible. I'm so excited about what God is going to do in us through Romans 8. And I mentioned there's actually not one single command in this great chapter of the Bible. Not one. No commands, just truth. Beautiful, delicious, life-changing gospel truth. Begins right out of the gate here with Romans 8 verse 1 where we read, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's my favorite verse in the Bible, by the way. God changed my life with this verse. You can live your whole life on this verse. In fact, you can walk through living hell with this verse. This is the stuff that real faith is all about, no condemnation. We're going to look at that in depth, actually, next week. (laughs) All right? But before that, before next week... What I really want us to look closely at today is this one word, therefore. And it would have been awkward to just have Andrew come up here and say, therefore, and then sit down. So we had to have him read the whole thing, okay? One word this week, therefore. You see it in your copy? I want you to actually underline that in your copy of the scripture, maybe. Um, In a sense, the, the secret to the entire Christian life is to know how to use this word, therefore. See, all the tasty truth that we're going to explore together in Romans chapter 8, it comes on the right-hand side of therefore. This is the Apostle Paul's way of saying, hey, in light of everything that I've written up until this point, here's some tasty truth that will knock your socks off. And so this morning, I want to recap and refresh us in a way in what Paul's been saying up until this point in chapters 1 through 7 of Romans. If you're new, this will be an effort to kind of get you up to speed with where we've been in Romans. If, if you've been here since last fall, to be a refresher, maybe just kind of a, a reorientation to the book of, of Romans. Um, if you're visiting with us here today, and, and maybe you're not a Christian, man, we are so happy that you're here. It, it takes a lot of courage to show up at church when you haven't been for a while. A lot of courage. And we're so, so happy that you're, we want you to feel really, really welcome here. Bring your questions. Bring those doubts. This is a safe place for, for all that. Just so you know, no one here has got this entire Christianity thing figured out. We're not perfect. Not even close. But this morning is a great morning for you to be here because what we get so excited about around here, in fact, what actually draws us together to begin with is the gospel of Jesus, the the good news about Jesus. And that's what Romans 1 through 7 has been all about. If I were to summarize what Paul has been doing this far in Romans up to chapter 8, he's been trying to get us to, number one, acknowledge our problem, to acknowledge our problem. Number two, to surrender to our need. 
And then number three, to receive the solution. Turn in your copy of the scripture with me to Romans chapter 1, if you would. If you don't have a Bible, use the one in the pew in front of you. Turn to page 939. We're going to look at a lot of passages in Romans this morning, so you're going to want to have a a Bible open with you. Uh, Romans chapter 1, Paul begins his letter. If I could just sort of boil down his beginning and summarize it for us, he's trying to get us to acknowledge our problem. Look at chapter 1, verse 18. He writes, For the, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Chapter 2, verse 5, if you turn the page, what's he say? He says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And then skipping down to chapter 2, verse 8. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. This is the problem, right? And we, we, we need to acknowledge it. It's not always popular to acknowledge it. And, and, and many people, want to they only want to hear of God's love, not his wrath. But the reality is we'll never fully understand his love. We'll never fully understand the, the magnitude and the incomprehensible nature and the undeserving nature that we have of his love until we understand something about his wrath. You see, the problem with the world is that it doesn't understand the problem with the world. It thinks it does. But if we start where the world starts, we'll think, I know my problem. I know it. And I'll, you know, I know my, I know my problem. I know my real needs. And I'll check out Christianity to see if God can help. And I'll check out Christianity to see if it's useful to me, see? And we'll reduce God down to a tool. Just another tool alongside the tools of psychology, medicine, exercise, mindfulness. Just another tool in the self-care toolbox. Here's the problem with that view of the problem. It puts you at the center, not God. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 21. Remember in verse 18, Paul has said that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness And then verse 21, for although they knew God, they knew some stuff about God, knew about him, great man upstairs or whatever, you know, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Here's the real problem. It's actually the problem underneath all of our other problems, right? We don't honor God as God. We don't worship God as God. Listen to how one preacher, John Piper, sums up the the problem here. He says it this way. He says, the glory of God is not honored. The holiness of God is not reverenced. The greatness of God is not admired. The power of God is not praised. The truth of God is not sought. The wisdom of God is not esteemed. The beauty of God is not treasured. The goodness of God is not savored. The faithfulness of God is not trusted. 
The promises of God are not relied upon. The commandments of God are not obeyed. The justice of God is not respected. The wrath of God is not feared. The grace of God is not cherished. The presence of God is not prized. The person of God is not loved. And then he concludes, the infinite, all-glorious creator of the universe, by whom and for whom all things exist, lest we forget, who holds every person's life in being at every moment, is disregarded, disbelieved, disobeyed, and dishonored by everyone in the world. That's the ultimate outrage of the universe. That's the problem with the world. And, you know, it's not just the world that does this, is it? We wish it was. That'd make our life a lot easier. If we could just look outside the walls of a church and be like, you know, y'all are the problem out there. We got it together. That's not how it works, though, is it? This is all of us. A couple weeks ago, I was helping uh, a neighbor friend of mine move some chairs around for a spaghetti feed that he was hosting for the cross-country team of our kids' high school. And I've known this neighbor for like 12 years. Uh, He's a Christian. And and as we're moving chairs around, I asked him, hey, man, like, how's church been going for you guys? And uh, he tells me, he's like, actually, we haven't been going for about the last nine months. And uh, we started talking about that and kind of what put him off. And it turns out that the church that he and his family, they've been a part of, uh, him in particular, for like 20 years, um, was beginning to take some stances that, let's just, let's just say, was, the, the stances were extremely unwelcoming to those struggling with a particular subset of sins. Sexual ones sexual identity and some of that sort of stuff, right? And um, encouraging members essentially to, to, to live lives that were contradictory to what we would call like a gospel welcome to, to people living in, in such ways, okay? Um, and he said, hey, look, I believe the Bible, right? Um, he, he said, I believe God made sex for one man and one woman in the context of marriage, he said, I believe that God made us male and female, okay? That's, that's controversial today. He's like, I, but I believe that. I believe that that's here in the Scripture, in the revealed truth of God, and that's true. But he said, we, but don't we also have to be welcoming to those who aren't yet Christians, who don't already believe everything that the Scripture teaches, maybe don't even know it, and don't have a similar ethic to, to ours? And after all, he said, we're all sinful, And then he looked at me, he looked me right in the eye, and he said, you sin every single day. And if I'm just 100% honest with you, I was tracking with him all the way through that, you know? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yep, agree with that. Bible, yes, truth, yes, man, woman, yes, sex, marriage, yes, all that. But when he looked at me and said, you sin every single day, something inside of me bristled. I know what he said is true, right? You know that it's true, I hope. (laughs) I agree with him theologically and and all that. I don't perfectly honor God, perfectly obey God, praise God, trust God, savor God, obey all those sorts of things. No, but what he said was true. I didn't like to hear it. We don't like to hear it, do we? It's really hard for us, all of us, outside and even inside the church to acknowledge the problem. 
And here's what's so great about the book of Romans. You know, it just puts it right there for us. You can't get away from it. It's just here. You can't get away from it. Uh, chapter 1, verse 29 says this, that they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, what ought to be disturbing to us here is that something like covetousness sits right next to evil on the list, all right? That ought to disturb you. Um, envy, right next to murder. <laughs> I mean, envy. I had me some envy last Wednesday, you know? I was talking to a pastor friend on the phone. He was telling me about one of his pastor friends who got a $50,000 grant for his sabbatical. <laughs> Spent like two months in Europe tracing the historical roots of the Protestant Reformation. <laughs> Sabbatical envy, right? I mean, seriously. It's like, where did I go wrong? Right next to murder on the list. Huh. Gossip. Right next to hating God. Which is right next to disobeying your parents, children in the room. Young adults in the room. Everybody in the room. None of us are excused, are we? None of us are excused. If you turn to Romans 3 in verse 9, this is actually Paul's point. In verse 9 of chapter 3, he says, what then? Are we Jews? Are we religious folk, right? Are, are we the religious folk any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Skip down to verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. <laughs> We're all implicated here, see? And we have to acknowledge it. One of the first things that Paul is trying to get us to do in chapters 1 through 7 of the book of Romans is to acknowledge our problem. That's hard. This summer, I took up fishing. Okay? And um, while not quite as exotic as Europe, um, my family and I did take a long weekend to northwest Arkansas. Okay, which, don't tell anyone because you'll ruin it, but it's beautiful down there. It's absolutely gorgeous down there, okay? Don't tell anyone. Um, one morning, it's like 8 a.m., and uh, my, our youngest, uh, Vivian, who's nine, she wants to go swimming, all right? It's 8 a.m., and I'm, I'm thinking, 8 a.m.'s a little early for me to hop in the water, uh, but what I'll do is I'll take my fishing pole down there, and um, there's a dock, and there's water, and while she swims around, I'll, I'll do the fishing pole thing. So we get down there. It's like a, a little bit of a hike from the cabin down to the water, and um, there's this dock, and then right next, like kind of connected to the dock, there's this place where you can park a boat, and there's a roof over it, right? So I'm over here, and I want to be careful, you know, because there's a roof there, and I'm going I'm to cast the, the pole thing, you know, but there's a roof, so I'll be careful, and be careful. And so Vivian's swimming around, I got my pole out, and I, I go to cast, and I, I was careful, the pole missed the, the roof, but um, there's also 18 inches of line, and then a lure at the end of that line, right? Did not miss the roof. And so as I cast, the lure, I think it was like my first cast, you know, hits the roof, bounces straight back into my face, and the lure literally sticks in my face. 
all right? And, um, you know, that, that's uh, the first thing that I thought of in that moment was, uh-oh, you know, I got a little problem here. Um, although I don't, I don't think that's how it came out in, in my words, if you know what I'm saying. Um, but, uh, think about that. Uh, I look over at Vivian, she's in the water, her eyes are like this big, she's like, are you okay, Dad? I'm expecting blood, like, pouring down or something. It wasn't that, wasn't like that. So my first thought was, I got a little problem here. Um, second thought was, I got to fix this, right? And, um, you know, I fished as a kid, got a hook in the shirt, get one in the arm or something like that, and you, you know, undo it a little bit and get, get it out. Uh, so I start wiggling around in my cheek, you know? Turns out Pastor Todd's got fat cheeks. Um, I'm wiggling around in my cheek. I can't get it out. Like, that's weird. Wiggle us more, can't get it out, can't get it out. Luckily, we've got these phone things in our pockets now with, you know, cameras. Always wondering what to do with that selfie camera mode. Now I know. You get a hook out of your face. So I, I got it turned around. And I, I'm, for five or ten minutes, you know, I, I can't get it out. I can't get it out. <sighs> Finally, I asked Megan or, or Vivian, hey, will you go up and get mom? And, and she needs to, to come down and help me. <laughs> Surely, you know, like... <laughs> She comes down. What what you doing? Uh, Megan tries for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. We can't get it out. Can't get it out. Finally, she says, you know, boy, um, I think we have to take you to urgent care. I'm like, oh, great. This is. So we cut the line so we don't take the pole with us, you know. That would have been weird. We drive into urgent care. I, we, we get into urgent care. We walk in. I kid you not. The lady looks at me and she says, how can we help you? <laughs> Turns out they can't help us. They don't have the right tools to help you get a fish hook out of your face. So they send us to the emergency room. And do we have that picture up there? There it is. That's me. Yep. Don't take that picture. Don't take that picture. <laughs> Couple people in this room have died for this picture. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did, in fact, have that T-shirt on, too. Yeah. Now, at the emergency room, we, we go in, right? Um, and um, that's, you know, they... Uh, they were a little bit more helpful than the, uh, than the urgent care. Let's just put it, at, put it at that. You can't make this stuff up. I really did have that T-shirt on. That's not a Bluetooth new device in my ear, anything like that. That is a fish hook complete with a swivel, complete with six inches of the fishing line. Now, listen, I tell you this crazy story, all right, um, to point out the fact that just acknowledging our problem isn't enough, is it? In the case of the fishing lure, I couldn't fix it on my own. And I really wanted to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's a little humbling to ride around in a car that way. I walk around town that way. Um, acknowledging the problem wasn't enough, though. I'd still have a lure in my face. Like, yeah, I know I got a problem. <laughs> Dude, you still got a lure in your face. Um, so I needed also to surrender to my need. My need for help. I had to realize and, and surrender to, I can't take care of that on my own. It's the same way in Romans. It's not enough to acknowledge our problem, that we sin and deserve the wrath of God. Paul puts it this way in Romans 3.22, for there's no distinction, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and by all, he doesn't mean just about everyone but you. 
Okay, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but also we can't fix it on our own. This is the second thing that Paul really wants to get into us in Romans 1 through 7. He wants us, he wants me and you to surrender to our need. Our need. That's hard for us. Even if we see our sin, right, see our falling short, even if we agree that we don't honor the glory of God and, the, and, and, the reverend, and, and you know, reverence his holiness and admire the greatness of God and prize the presence of God and, and all the rest, even if we see it, we are so prone to stand on the dock of life with a fishing lure of sin in our face and think, I can take care of this. And so we try. We try with our good behavior. We, we try with works that we think will be pleasing to God. You might be coming here to try this morning. And you know there's a problem. You know you're not, with right, you know, you know you're not right with God, and you're trying your best to fix it. Romans says, you can't. You can't. The wrath of God is being revealed from God against all ungodliness, including yours, and you can't fix it. Instead, you must surrender to your need. Paul puts it this way in chapter 3, verse 20. He says, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. That word justified is an important one in Romans. We've talked about it a lot. It means counted right with God. Paul's point here is that no amount of, of good works, right? No amount of going to church, saying your prayers, and taking your vitamins is going to get you right before God. It's not going to get you justified. If you turn over to Romans 8, we'll hit on this in a few more weeks, but he puts it even more strongly in Romans 8, verse 7. He says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, before you became a Christian, that's what was true of you. Your mind is set on the flesh and hostile to God before you become a Christian. You don't submit to God. In fact, you can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's not humanly possible. Which is another way of saying, you cannot justify yourself. You cannot, by your works, record, and effort, get yourself right with God. You can't fix the problem. It's not enough merely to acknowledge the problem. You must also surrender to your need. Because only when you have surrendered to your need can you, point three now, receive the solution. Now, admittedly, this is where my lure in the face illustration breaks down a little bit, but we're going to roll with it because it's funny. Let's just laugh at all. Let's all laugh at Pastor Todd this morning. It'll be fun, right? <laughs> Laughter is good for the soul, all those sorts of things. Um, once I had acknowledged my problem, uh, once I had surrendered to my need, I still need a solution, you know? Um, I still need the great physician of the face to to deal with me. And so we get into the ER, and uh, 
First thing you do in an ER is meet the triage nurse. You guys know what triage nurse is? Triage nurse takes one look at me and she says, oh, you haven't seen the video. But there's a video? She's like, yeah, it's like on YouTube or something, you know? It's like, you get a hook in you, all you do is, you know, push it in further. This doesn't sound that great, right? But you push it in further. It sounds great if you've been tugging on it for a while. Push it in further, pop that hook out the other side. So it's going in one spot, out the other, okay? Two holes now, not one. And, uh, and then you take like a side cutters and you just cut that barb. That's what's holding up in the, the flesh of my face, right? The little barb on that hook. And then it just comes right back out. And I was thinking, how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> you know? So we go in, to, after the triage, you go into the room with the doctor. Doctor comes in. Of course, there's like six people with him, you know? <laughs> Get a load of this guy. Everybody come in. You know, we got to teach these people how to do it. Um, he comes in, he looks at it, and he goes, oh, yeah, uh, let me just go get some, some really heavy string. Let's put it around there and pull really hard. And I'm like, that's a good one. That's funny. He leaves the room, comes back in with heavy string. <laughs> right? And I'm like, what is going on? He wraps it around here, literally puts his hand on my shoulder. He's got a trick. He's going to, like, flip the wrist or something. Puts his hand on my shoulder, yanks as hard as he can, doesn't come out. And I'm just like, dude, that actually, now it hurts. Now it hurts. I was like, you know, the triage nurse said there's a video, you know? And if you just push it through, clip the barb, comes right out. And he goes, yeah, we could try that. Let me get you some anesthesia first. Thanks. Now we get the anesthesia. This is great. Gets the shot, you know, do that. Got, I'm up to date on my tetanus, by the way, now, too. Um, and he, he pushes it through, pops the barb, pulls it right out. And we're, we're good to go. Now, listen, thankfully, when we come to Jesus with our problem... And, and our need, the, the great physician of the soul doesn't need YouTube videos to figure out what to do. Isn't that great? He, he doesn't yank on the fishing lure of sin in your face of a soul and cause more pain. He knows exactly what to do. In fact, he's already done it. All you have to do is trust in him. Believe in him. This is the good news. This is the gospel. The gospel that Paul isn't ashamed of, and we aren't either, chapter 1, verse 16, because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And by everyone, he doesn't mean just about everyone but you. Chapter 5, verse 6, for while we were still weak... Still needy, unable to fix ourselves, hostile to God even, remember? While we were still weak, at the right time, 2,000 years ago, Christ Jesus died on the cross for the ungodly, for sinners and strugglers like you and me. He showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. In Romans 4, verse 5, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Believe and be saved. That's what Romans teaches us. Believe and be saved. Now, here's where we need to do some correction to the cute little fishing lure illustration, all right? Um, Remember the problem. The problem isn't that you just got a little sin on your face and need, you know, a little bit of help just having Jesus do you a solid, okay? The problem is that you are sinful and corrupt and deserve the wrath of God and can't do anything about it yourself, 
all right? Paul says in Ephesians 2 that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, not struggling a little. Dead. You don't need like a, the church version of an urgent care. You're, you're dead. Dead. Prior to becoming Christians, we don't just have a fishing lure in the face and need a little help. We've actually been pulled into the lake, drowned, lungs full of water, sunk to the bottom of that lake, and rotting. That's our state. Because of our sin, we are as good as dead because of the wrath owed to us, and we are spiritually dead to do anything about it. But when you look upon the cross... When you receive the solution, Romans 3, verse 24, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's good news. So on the cross, Jesus takes on all the wrath that you deserved. All the wrath, not just for your little sins here and there, but for making yourself the center of it all. For not honoring him, not revering him, not praising him, treasuring him, savoring him, trusting him, fearing him, prizing him, loving him. He takes on all the wrath for all of that, which you and I fully deserve. That's what propitiation means. He quenches the wrath that was owed to us. He atones for our sin. And when you receive him by faith, when you believe that he did this for you, you're justified. Just like that. Counted right before him. By his grace. It's all a gift. The redemption of Christ Jesus is a gift which Paul describes in Ephesians 2 as being made alive or Jesus himself describes as being born again. It's being brought up from the bottom of that lake, lungs cleared, new life breathed in, starting over. Starting over. When that happens to you, your life is never the same. Even if it sometimes feels the same. This is what Romans 5 is all about. And, and, and Romans 5 connects directly with Romans 8. In fact, Romans 5 begins some themes that we see fleshed out more in Romans 8. More specifically, once you hit Romans 5, Paul is largely concerned with you resting with unshakable certainty that if you trust in Jesus, all of this is true of you. And it'll never be untrue of you. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, therefore, since, therefore, since we have been justified once and forever, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 9, since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And again, there's a continuous argument from Romans 5 to Romans 8. Since we have been justified, we have peace with God, Romans 5.1. 
There is therefore now no condemnation. Romans 8, 1. Since we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God when Christ returns, Romans 5. And then the end of Romans 8. Nothing is going to separate us from the love of Jesus. No condemnation, no separation. Paul starts us in this direction in Romans 5. He flushes it all out in Romans 8. Tells us about the Holy Spirit's work and all of us in that. And in between, in chapters 6 and 7, he addresses objections to this teaching. What about the fact that I still sin? How can I be saved and secure and have certainty if I'm still wrestling with sin? What about the fact that I still struggle? Because we all do. Remember my neighbor? You sin every single day. Paul addresses that in chapter 6 and 7. He acknowledges the reality of indwelling sin in our lives, but he also points out that for the true believer, a deep and lasting change has occurred at the level of our wants and desires. You've been given a new heart. And there's a war going on inside of you now because of that new heart and those new desires. You want to obey, but you're struggling with that. It's part of what it means to live as the gospel in you, though. Chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. That's not going away. It comes back in chapter 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you die. But if by the Spirit, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Right, there's a, a war, and we fight. This is what sanctification is all about. Sanctification is just this big word that, that means our growing in Christ-likeness, growing in, in holiness. This is what it's all about. And, and sanctification is absolutely essential. We fight. But we fight with Jesus on our side. We fight as those who are already, to use some language from Romans 8, more than conquerors. That's how we fight. It's like we're on a battlefield, people of God against sin, you know? And we're taking hits and gaining some ground, two steps forward, one step back. Most of the time, we don't fight as well as we should. Yet even as the war wages on, the great commander of God's army has raised a banner up over it all, over all those on that battlefield who trust and belonged in Jesus. And that banner reads, no condemnation. And that banner, it, it has this non-intuitive effect on us as soldiers. Rather than using this assurance to just kind of like give in and defect to the other side, we rejoice in the certainty of final triumph and fight on. The presence of the war doesn't indicate that we're not secure. Quite the opposite. The victory and ascension and presence of Jesus declares that you are secure. No condemnation. No separation. Listen to how Eugene Peterson paraphrases the, the end of Romans 7 and the first verse of, of Romans 8, which captures this war but also lands us in the finished work of, of Christ. He paraphrases it this way. He says, if I know the law but still can't keep it, 
And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. We can resonate with that. He says, I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly, he says, it's predictable. (laughs) The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I tried everything. Nothing helps. At the end of my rope, is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and my mind and am also pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud A new power is in operation. (laughs) A new power, I would add, that empowers us in this life right here, right now, as we live and love and wait for Jesus to return. (laughs) A, A new power that brings renewal and hope and joy to fellow sinners and strugglers like you and me. Church, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that by your Spirit, you would sort of Wallpaper the walls of our souls with this truth. Jesus, some in this room right now have been living their whole lives as one long defense against the reality of our problem. Would you help them right now to acknowledge our problem? Others of us, we, we know the problem and yet we haven't fully surrendered to our need. And and quite frankly, Lord, we're wore out trying to fix it ourselves. A selfie cam's not helping. So I pray, Father, that we would surrender for the the first time, perhaps, or, or just again and again and again to our need for Jesus. Help us to internalize the reality that growing in Christian maturity isn't about needing Jesus less, but ever increasingly more. Would we receive the solution, Father? Some in this room, would they receive Jesus 
I mean, the, the real Jesus really receive him right here, right now, for the first time? And would the rest of us receive him over and over again? Fresh experiences of his mercy and grace on the battlefield of this life. Give us eyes, Holy Spirit, to look up to the banner right now and see. No condemnation. And to fight on. Renew us, Lord, by your powerful Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.